G'day and welcome to The Grass is Greener. My name is Tim Henry. I'm a financial advisor in Melbourne. And every week, my guests and I dissect your everyday challenges. We'll get you clearer on your goals and give you financial tips to make it happen. If this is your first time tuning into The Grass is Greener, make sure you subscribe to the show on your platform of choice so you'll automatically receive each episode as soon as it's released. G'day and welcome to another episode of The Grass is Greener. Thanks for joining. This is our last episode of our Cost of Living series and I wanted to dedicate this episode to really having a really quick snapshot of the key elements of all the episodes we've brought together because when you bring them together into a short list, uh, there's really some fantastic um, information and really a framework for moving forward through this time of cost of living pressures. So we, we've had Libby Newman, Karen Ely on the show, Michael Laws, Nellie Kerrison, Brett Malavi, and our own Leandro Bonin. So I want to run you through what they brought to the table on this topic and in the next 20 minutes or so you can uh, listen to the key areas that they talked about. Firstly, let's start with Libby Newman. She works as an investment specialist and she came on to talk us through inflation and what was happening in the world, why is inflation happening, why is it forcing cost of living to rise and also uh, an expectation around interest rates. Okay, so if we're back to your first question, I guess, around central banks and why they'd be looking to raise interest rates now given that we've already got these cost of living pressures coming through to most of our household budgets. Um, what we've seen, again, emerging from the pandemic is probably still reasonably strong growth. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of us have probably built up a little bit of a buffer in terms of bank accounts and probably over over the holiday weekends or the long weekends that we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing people getting out and about again, which is great. Um, yeah. But that's probably because they've not been spending money on holidays and things over the last yeah. years. So there's still reasonably strong demand on this, on one side of the economy. Um, and so what the central banks are trying to do is, I guess, slow down that demand a little bit um, and effectively thread the needle of slowing down demand enough that inflation comes off uh, without killing off the economy entirely and tipping us over into recession. So that's the, that's the fine line that they're walking at the moment. So I guess as well, when you say there's um, wanting to slow down the demand, some of that heightened demand is in areas where there is very little supply, isn't it? You know, that's what we're seeing with... Yeah. I've been chatting to clients who are trying to build a home, for example. Yeah. And they're trying to lock in a price with the home um, construction company. Yeah. <laughs> and they are cranking up their prices nearly every week. Yeah. Based on, um, you know, their ability to meet that demand. So... I guess that's what they see the danger of, isn't it? Is if we if they don't slow that demand down, so yeah. people are probably right to say, well, they're putting the prices up on us, and that's making it harder for us. But that's a deliberate tactic, isn't it? They want it to is... make it harder. Yeah, they want everyone to slow down a bit. Yeah, they want the demand to slow down a little bit. Um, and I guess from a home builders, you know, from a construction company perspective, they don't want to be caught short having yeah. a fixed. 
contract when timber prices are going up and labour costs mm. are going up as well. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a tricky situation for everyone at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So is the hope, I guess, that um, if they can just slow that down a little bit and the supply can then hopefully catch up, then yep. this will start to balance out the supply and demand and, and hopefully stabilise the prices, I guess. Yeah, that's that's the hope, and I think definitely at the beginning of the year that was that was the hope. I guess the other things we've had thrown, the curveballs we've had thrown in, uh, the situation in Ukraine and Ru- with Russia and sanctions yes. Russia. So that is that has seen a spike in oil prices. So that has seen, and we've all seen that at the Bowser up until the the recent um, the recent cut from the government. Um, so they've seen that's come through, and then we've also seen. China locked down again, and big parts of the Chinese economy locking down, which is only making those supply chain issues worse. Give us a real layman's term definition of how does that then flow on to interest rates? So, we, okay, you're saying that they're wary of inflation escalating. Yep. All the central banks around the world. How, how does that then flow on to interest rates? How do they use interest rates to yep. stop that demand or slow that demand down? Yeah, well, I guess... Um, you know, if we do see interest rate hikes, and to some respect, um, the bond market has already priced some of those in. Yeah. Um, so, but what we could see throughout, so at the moment, I think there's about six or seven rate hikes priced in for the next year or so. Um, really? That many? Yeah, that many. In um, Australia? Yeah. Australia's sort of been dragged along a little bit with what's going on. Yeah. There. Probably we're not quite as bad in the US in some respects. So, yeah. And I think the RBA, personally, I think the RBA probably doesn't want to go too hard. And the, the language has been that they don't want to go too hard too quickly yeah. because we are such um, an economy that's so reliant on housing. Um, and we've already seen, you know, a couple of construction companies run into a little bit of difficulty. So I think they're. They will have to raise rates. The market's probably a little bit of a head in terms of expectations. Yeah. I think the RBA is probably thinking maybe maybe a couple, and the market's thinking maybe six, and economists are thinking maybe two or three. Want to now move to Karen Ely. Karen came on, and she had a fantastic chat with us about making better decisions in or financial decisions in times of stress, and. Karen had some really good tips here. She covered off uh, what emotions she's seeing in her clients right now, and I think that's important for us all to hear because you know we may be feeling that way, and you know that we're not alone. There's a lot of people out there going through these emotions. She had a great uh, little snippet about the importance of looking at your life through a lens of gratitude, as well as three questions, three really important questions that she encourages people to write answers to to help frame up what your fears are and what you want to see happen. starts to help you, uh, instead of having all this swimming around in your head, the importance of getting it down on paper. The, the main ones I'm seeing, Tim, are fear, anxiety, stress, and worry and they all come from a place of uncertainty because there's a lot of uncertainty isn't there so we we hear about this thing called inflation and the cost of our living going up 
We're hearing about interest rates going up and how it's going to impact our mortgages. There's so much uncertainty. And with the war that's going on around the other side of the world, how is that going to impact us? Mm. We don't know. Then we've still got those the hangover of COVID and some of the... Um, yeah, That's the right. uncertainty we've already dealt with, we're, we're That's right. probably in a possibly a fra- bit of a fragile state already. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So we're already in a place where our, our nervous system um, is pretty much shot for all of us. We've just been in years of constant uncertainty, whether it be cost of living, whether it be our income source and will we have a job or is our business livelihood and our business income in jeopardy? Yeah. So it takes a toll. So, well, how does financial uncertainty, you know, affect us? So, it affects us on a couple of different levels. But what it does is uncertainty. Our brain doesn't like uncertainty because what our brain does is it's constantly updating our world and it's making judgments about what is safe and what isn't safe. And to the human mind, uncertainty equals danger. Because if your brain doesn't know what's around the corner, like are we going to have inflation, are interest rates going up, how much is my petrol going to be, can I afford my mortgage repayments, our brain doesn't like that uncertainty and it wants to keep us safe and it can't keep us out of harm's way if it doesn't know what is going to be the the thing that's in danger. So it causes fear and anxiety and stress and worry. So... That is what our brain is trying to do. It's trying to keep us safe, but it can't keep us safe when there's so much uncertainty going on in the world. Number four is gratitude, having an exercise of gratitude. Because as we've mentioned already, our brain is wired for identifying threats. It's not going to come from a place of abundance or gratitude. And what we know in positive psychology research is that gratitude is strongly Um, increased and related to greater happiness and well-being. So what we can do as individuals is acknowledge and give thanks to our current situation because all of the listeners like you and I are living in Australia, which probably means we've got a roof over our head, a car, access to transport and food that we've got on our table every night. And this makes us significantly better off than probably half of the world population. So we want to give thanks to that. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's something that challenges, does challenge us all, doesn't it? Because we tend to focus on the things that need our attention or areas where we we need to improve or uh, things that we haven't got or whatever. So I guess it's, again, you're just saying it's it's switching that focus to what we have rather than what we don't have. That's right, because our brain, again, it's biologically hardwired to be looking out for threats. So it is constantly coming from that lack of space. How can I keep myself safe rather than looking and focusing and say, wow, look at all these great things I've got around me already. So, you know, the things that you're mentioning here, Karen, it's not to say that you're... and I think that's an important distinction, not to say we're ignoring the problem. It's just to say we're not going to let it take away too much focus, keep focused on other things and, and leave have those problems in, in their perspective. That's right, Tim, because 
being fearful or being stressed out over what interest rates are going to do or how much the petrol price is going to be per litre, we can't change that. Yeah. Let's focus on the things that we can change and do differently. Yeah, I like it. You ask yourself three questions so the listeners can write these down. What is your greatest fear about this situation? So for the listeners, it could be my greatest fear is that I'm not going to have enough to buy all of the groceries that I want or that interest rates are going to go up and my mortgage repayments are going to be a lot more than I can afford. Yep. So just because it's what's happening at the moment, Tim, is it's going around in our head. We've got this fear going around and around and around in our head. We want to get it out of our head onto paper. Right. So you've so got to write, write it down. It down yeah. Write it down. What is your greatest fear about this situation? What am I afraid of? So that's question number one. Question number two is, now what are some of the options of what could happen instead? So it's like you are saying before, what are the opportunities? Yeah. What are some other ways of thinking about this particular situation? Yeah, and that, that is <laughs> that is interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll let you keep going with the questions because I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind making a, a comment on that. Beautiful. And so the third question is, what do I hope will happen? Because we want to focus back on the positive rather than the negative. Yep. And these three questions, Tim, is basically each question is moving you up each level of the elevator. We're starting off in fear, instinctive, ground floor. What are some other options moving up creative, emotional? And what do you hope will happen? What are some of the rational alternatives out there and where we want to be? What is that end goal that we want to focus I on? I like it. Michael Laws came onto the show and Michael came on just to talk about spending plan and how to get yours up and going. Key areas that Michael, I loved in Michael's um, episode was him talking about a bucket approach to your spending and starting to break it up into those chunks. Really important to be able to measure in some way your spending plan and I really love the way Michael talked about um these buckets that he runs in his own spending plan and he says work really well and we've seen it a million times does work well what we need to do is to put our expenditure into certain categories uh, or buckets and you know the the bucket theory has been around for forever and a day Um, probably made pretty famous by the barefoot investor in more recent years but I mean the bucket strategy honestly has been around since before banking, when people get used, used to get paid a, a big wad of cash, and they would divide up their cash into you know a few yeah, different envelopes, course, and one yeah. was one was your rent envelope, one was your your spending envelope, one was your food and grocery envelope, and maybe an envelope to go to the pub or something like that. But um, so the bucket strategy has been around forever and a day. So what you want to do is start classifying your expenditure. Um, I would say into three primary areas. Yep. Um, and that is really your, your needs, uh, which are often your, your fixed expenses such as rent and mortgage, uh, such as your, your bills, your car repayments, uh, your, you know, your food, your grocery shopping yeah. uh, and basic clothing, things like that. So things that you just need to survive, you can't yeah. avoid it. Um, and so break you know, those categories down. Um, the next one is your discretionary spending. So that's more your wants. Uh, and that's things like your entertainment, uh, holidays, you know, travel, eating out, uh, your presents and gifts and things like that. Yeah. So things that you have a lot more choice over 
um, how much and and if you spend that money. Yeah, and probably um, that's right. Whether you spend it or whether you choose to spend big or you choose to spend it in a, in a smarter sort of way, you probably yeah. don't have a lot of that choice in the first group, do we? Exactly, yeah. And I think it's a discretionary space is where you can start making some leeway. So if yeah. you're, you're over, you know, not necessarily overspending, but maybe you're spending more than, than what you need to because the last category uh, out of the three that I would say is, is your savings category. Uh, yeah. Now, if your savings category is non-existent at the moment, I think the whole point of a spending plan is to start boosting that category up as That's far right. as you po- as far as you possibly can. Really, yep. um, now a, a pretty common rule of thumb in the industry is to break those buckets down into, say, a 50-30-20 um, breakdown, where fifty percent of your uh, expenditure is on your needs, your fixed expenses, thirty yep. percent on your wants, and then twenty percent will go to to savings. Um, and, and that, that there is no hard and fast rule for every single person no. and every single person who has, because everyone has a different income level, uh, those ratios will be different. Nellie Kerrison came on to the show to chat about food, strategies to lower food costs, and she had some really good tips for us about um, food planning as well as um what she called a three-for-one deal with um, a s- slow cooking. So um, I really enjoyed these tips from Nelly. Just in terms of, of that planning, um, it probably makes sense, doesn't it, that the weekend is the time to do that, I, I would guess. I mean, it's different for everyone, but I sort of feel like once the week commences, if, especially if you're feeding a family, um, it's really hard to... Yeah, to, to plan if you haven't. Yeah, I I agree, and I think if you haven't got a plan, you know, we've all got the best of intentions. But I know that by the time you know Wednesday comes around, if you haven't had a bit of a plan, you you know suddenly you you might be outsourcing dinner or you know yeah you're on the road. So, yeah, you're on the road. So I know. So <laughs> well, yeah. it is. It's, it's brutal. It's like a it's like that. I mean, you get behind the eight ball on that the meal planning and. You, you, you're really battling through yeah, the week you, to get for through. For sure, yeah, particularly if you're working and juggling a family. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really busy. So just, you know, making your life a bit a bit easier by having that plan. Um, so I think what really helps is, as I mentioned before, you know, before you sit down, have a have a really good look at what's, what's in your fridge that can be used, what's in the freezer that's not going to go to the, you know, the freezer gods. Yeah. Pick even, oh, we always um, pick one of those out each week that, and it's, I usually save it for a night that I know that we're going to, you know, that I've been under the pump or we're, we're you know, here, there and everywhere as a family. Um, Got a lot of but, ins and outs. Yeah. But yeah. that's a night where you go, okay, it's, it's essentially a night off, but it's on your meal plan. You've got something nourishing that you've pulled out, um, having a look at what's in your, your um, pantry and just making sure that's stocked really well some, with some inspiring things also, like really nice spices um, that are, you know, inexpensive, you know, beautiful vinegars, et cetera, that you buy really, you know, they just last such a long time, but yeah. they can really, really change beautiful, nourishing, tasty meals. I guess turning, uh, those are the types of things that a, a good cook really um, turns a, what might be a pretty bland salad or something into something that you go, gee, this is good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I know that's not, you know, for every, I know that's not for everyone. I mean, I I live and breathe it and I love I love that, but you know, if I ask Michael to 
do something with the sherry vinegar that's sitting in the pantry. I think he'd run a mile. You know, like that's just not him. He's, yeah. he, he's not him. So that's where the plan, yeah, certainly does help all of us as a family. And I I mean, the reason I started what the cooking school and teaching home cooking um, is in fear of wanting to sound like a Martha Stewart because I certainly don't. The importance of us sitting down as a family and particularly as our girls have got old, older, I mean, it is just so important to us and, yep. you know, catching up with one another and, you know, really nurturing and nourishing those relationships. So I, I, I always want to hold place, you know, hold a place for that. So making sure that we've got that time to sit down around a meal at home yeah, is really special. So having that plan there is ace. And the girls, because they've all got different tastes, they... They know. So, you know, Grace is beside herself if it's a, a pulled pork night or it's, you know, because she's the meat eater in our house. Can I put you on the spot here? Sort of on the spot because I've warned you that I might do it. Um, have you got a go-to meal that's an absolute cracker that is pretty low cost? I've got a few. Like that's where it's so happy <laughs> only because and the reason I, I find it so hard to choose one is because of the different dietaries in Well, tell our us house. a few then. That's For all right. Sure. Well, <laughs> I, I, if I go to the the go-to that's a cracker that, um, that I've got a couple that wouldn't eat it. But in terms of budget-friendly and being able to stretch it, I would say – Anything slow cooked is a winner. So a slow cooked lamb shoulder for one meal can turn into, you know, add it to a harira, you know, a lentil soup the next day it can be used for savlaki night. So I like to call those a three for one. So you're really getting yeah, a right. three for deal, like one one beautiful slow cooked thing or a slow cooked pork, etc. Um, you'll, you'll get a few meals out of one, which is fantastic. So and here's the like- planning. This is where the planning's coming in now, isn't it? Because you're sort of saying, well, I'm going to – so you're deliberately – cooking something with a view to possibly having three meals from it. Definitely, yep. And I guess if there's any families out there that are split like mine, what that does is, I mean, we would, I could do a slow-cooked lamb shoulder and only half of us will eat meat. So so it goes a lot further as opposed to a family of five where they might be all meat eaters. So I know that that varies depending on, you know, who's in the house. Um, but for beautiful vegetarian, really budget-friendly meals is one pot, beautiful, you know, lentils and grains, they're so nourishing, they're super cheap yep. um, and really easy to turn into really quick and easy, beautiful, game-changing meals, like really full of flavour and that's where you've got to get those, you know, ground spices in there and some leafy greens but really cost-effective. So things like stews or soups, or is that what you're talking about? Stews or, or soups or, yeah, stews or soups or, um, you know, seaweed. We eat a lot of grain and lentil salads that are actually main meals. So a one-pot dish where it's a warm, nourishing, you know, one-pot lemon and, you know, lentil dish if you wanted to have some poached chicken on top of that for people that might be like our family where you've got, got you know, different dietaries. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's another one, speaking of chicken. I know you and I have spoken about it before. Oh, yeah. But I've in um, the cookbook family, I call it, superhero poached chicken because yeah. it really can be a superhero of the kitchen you know you'll poach a chicken you've suddenly got stock you, you could have a roast you've got rice paper rolls one night you've got taco night vietnamese chicken salads etc exactly um, right like and we have done that so we haven't done it with the um you know what's going to happen now nelly i'm going to hit you up on some of this stuff with the lamb shoulder i've done the superhero cooked chicken before and that's been yeah. great for multiple meals um, so that's, I guess, what where there there can be cost savings, really, isn't it? It's, it's about thinking about, um, yes, think before you go shopping, but 
what are these sort of um, by investing a bit more and buying a big chunk of meat or or whatever, working a plan to spread that through your week could work beautifully. Yeah, definitely. Be really cost effective, I imagine. And I think too, like people, I don't know about your family, but we quite often have leftovers and I don't know whether that's just because I'm a guts and I cook too much. I don't know. It could very well be that. But it's, you know, instead of letting them slide in the fridge, having a look at that and going, what can I do with this? Even if that's for lunches or turning it into another meal. So that lamb, um, the... Someone's hungry in the background. I know. I can. I just mentioned food, and off he goes. Sorry, I got distracted. Then, um, he, I, the slow cooked lamb. We also put on flatbreads the other night, which I, there's a recipe on the blog. So it's just little things like that that it might turn into yeah. a Sunday night where there's no extra work. You're just throwing some beautiful lamb and some yogurt on some flatbreads, and how divine's that for your Sunday? Brett Malavi uh, is a mortgage broker. And he came onto the show to help us um, attack the mortgage. And we know it's a big cost for people. And getting the right deal is really important. And Brett had some really good um, tips for people who just need to make that call to their bank. He, he really did, was at pains to point out that a lot of people don't do this because they think it's too hard. Um, he really framed up some great tips that you could um, implement when you make that call to your bank. I think the biggest challenge that we face into with Australian consumers at the moment is what I call compliance by confusion. Okay. And what I mean by that is um, banks create an environment where consumers are complicit in not negotiating interest rates because they have no idea on how good of a deal they're on. And if you can understand four things, you can understand more about your mortgage and how you can, how you can potentially look at better options. Okay. So, um, and, and if you, if you, Google any bank and you go to their interest rate website, okay, you'll see there is 60 different interest rates on there. And the vast majority of people go, I have no idea what I'm looking at here. Okay, so if you can understand <laughs> yeah. these four things, yeah, you know, you'll have enough info just to be dangerous. So the first is, am I on a variable rate or am I on a fixed interest rate? Variable is where the rate can go up or down. Fixed is when you set it for a period of time. Okay. The next important thing to understand is what they call loan ratio. Now, what a loan ratio is, it's how much debt you have against your property. For example, if you have an $80,000 mortgage against a property that's worth $100,000, your loan ratio is 80%. Okay. Yep. If you've got a million dollar property and your loan is $650,000, it's a 65% loan ratio. Right. Now, the lower that loan ratio, the less risky it is to the bank. And in turn, the better interest rate you should be getting. Okay, and I say right. risky because the bank has a better chance of getting their money back in the event of a default if it's a low loan as opposed to one that's you know 95% loan ratio. So, the Brett, just on a... that one, could I just um, ask you a question on that? Um, that is the classic case of probably, possibly someone who took a loan out, had a higher <laughs> ratio, they've been paying it off diligently for a few years and maybe don't realise that they now pose a much less lower risk to the bank. And could go back Absolutely. and renegotiate that based on that. And the really important number is when it dips below an 80% loan. So if you took right. a loan out that's, let's say, 90%, okay, and you've had good growth in your property and then you paid your loan down, it's now below 80%, you'll find that there's a fair jump in interest rates between 79 and 81%. Um, it's just a note to keep out on that if, you, if you're one of those people that's just got below 80%, hey, now is the time to renegotiate that rate. Um, the third 
key area is if it's a package loan or a standalone facility. Okay, and the, the way you can tell the difference there is if you're paying an annual fee, more often than not, it's a package facility. So you're paying one annual fee to the bank for all of your products. Yep. If you've paid an application fee up front and there's no ongoing fees, it's normally a standalone product. I find that a lot of um, introductory rates are standalone products. Okay. Um, the package facilities are normally a little bit less attractive, but they're a little bit easier to manage moving forward. And then the last one is repayment type. Am I paying just interest only on my facility or am I paying principal and interest? Okay. Historically, people have had interest only as investment properties. Sometimes people will switch um, their property to interest only if they're going off on say maternity leave and they need to reduce their outgoings for the you know, 12 months yep. or whatever it may be. But if you can if you can understand where your own personal situation sits within those those four criteria, am I paying variable or fixed? What's my loan ratio? Is it packaged or unpackaged? And what's my repayment type? Normally, what you can then do is understand what are the other products and facilities out there in the market. Okay? So they're the things to compare against. They're the four things to compare against. There's no point of comparing against an offer that is a you know. 20% loan ratio offer over at bank A when you're on a yeah. 95% loan ratio over loan B, yeah, yeah. your bank's not going to care. Then the next thing you need to do is, I would say this for everyone, first thing you need to do is pick up the phone to your existing bank and say, I found this offer out there, okay? This is where my current interest rate's at. What can you guys do to keep my business? And, and the reason I say to do that firstly is it's much easier to negotiate your interest rate down than going through your entire process of refinancing <laughs> yes. your facilities. And look, yes. it's in my best interest as a mortgage broker and it's in you know a lot of other banks' best interest for you to refinance. But look, my view is that it's just such a pain to switch everything. Yeah. And if you can get the right outcome by spending 15 minutes on the phone, hell, go and do that. Okay, so you pick up the phone, negotiate with your existing bank and say, this is what's out there. What can you do for me? Now, you need to have that conversation with them, in my opinion, every six months because rates move so quickly and they'll move your rates up and down or there'll be new offers out there in the market. You need to do that every six months because small changes to your interest rates will have exponential yeah. um, benefit in, in the long run. And yeah, that might be $1,000 a year. It might be $2,000 a year. You multiply that over 30 years, it's a substantial cost. And, you know, it's hard enough to earn $1,000, you know, when <laughs> you're at right. work, right? Yeah. And, and if you can just spend 15 minutes and get a $1,000 return over the next 12 months, that's a great investment in your time. And our own Leandro Bonin, he came on only a couple of weeks ago and he and I chatted about the importance of just staying patient and uh, really having a long-term view and uh, even there can be opportunities with your super and investments in volatile times. We're getting lots of calls, aren't we, from people who are just concerned about, am I doing the right thing still? Should I be changing my strategies? Um, my super's gone down. What does that mean? Um, we've got a lot of experience in this area and, and we have done that uh, together over many years. So love for you to tell the listeners, you know, uh, what we've seen that works and doesn't work for clients and, and what comes to mind for you? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, we haven't seen this um, recently. Uh, I think the last one was during COVID when um, we had a breakout with COVID. 
And I think this, the stress in the share market lately reflects the uncertainty with the economies around the globe. So we have the clear scenario of rising uh, inflation across the old economies. We saw the other day in Australia, the CPI reaching 5%, which yep. is uh, a bit high for us. And uh, we see the central banks take some action and tighten up the, the, the policies uh, and elevating the interest rate. And when this happens, the cost of borrowing becomes a more expensive, affects the company, affects uh, everyone, um, and the money becomes more expensive. Yeah. Um, and on the other, another another important factor as well is when we have this shifting um, with the scenario of a high interest rate, we have some investors moving from risky assets such as shares, mm. crypto. We saw the last couple of days, um, uh, deep, <laughs> very deep uh, market in the crypto um, uh, environment. <laughs> Uh, so they are moving from risky assets to more conservative and stable options. Yeah. And I think in addition to that, you have the war in Ukraine going on and no one knows uh, what is going to happen, what will be the impact. We have massive lockdowns in, in China. Um, and when you combine all these elements, uh, you see a volatility in the market and stress. Yeah. But as we always say to the clients, don't panic, uh, have patience. It all will pass. It's not the first time the market has fallen, and it won't be the last. So I think you'd agree there. That's pretty solid. Um, a lot of information there, and I wanted just to put it into that nice short snippet so that you could have that all in one package. But I really encourage you if you haven't listened to any of the episodes, each of them had really really good insights into them. We've we've loved having the guests on specifically to talk about this cost of living topic. So thanks for joining us on that cost of living series. We've really enjoyed bringing it to you and we've loved having the guests on. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Grass is Greener. If you're looking for a community of like-minded people who are going on a journey similar to you, then I invite you to join the Grass is Greener Facebook group where you can connect, share and learn from other people just like you. The information in this podcast is of a general nature and does not take into account your own financial objectives, circumstances and needs. You should consider your own personal situation and requirements before making any decision. If you have any concerns or questions, please contact me. That's the end of another show. Remember, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. See you later.